We talked about the definition of forgiveness. And began to give examples of it. First of all, how God loved us, manifested His love by giving the Lord Jesus Christ to us and declaring His purpose for loving us that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then we talked about Joseph being a type of Christ in the Old Testament and how he forgave his brothers even though they did not deserve to be forgiven. He loved his brothers even after his father passed away. He didn't try to take vengeance on them. And uh, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And until you and I can come to that position where no matter what anyone does to us, we can say, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's trying to do something in my life. He's trying to change my life. He's trying to get my attention. He's stirring up my nest. And I thank the Lord for the opportunity to trust Him in this situation and to leave the results with Him. Now, Father, I ask, somehow you'll give wisdom and insight and understanding to our hearts that the words that are spoken tonight will be able to go into the ears without the enemy twisting or changing it in any way and that our hearts will respond to your love for us and that we'll love others even as you loved us. We commit ourselves to you and pray that our hearts will be open to receive truth in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll first of all, talk about God, about Joseph, and now I want to talk about Jesus Christ and his experience here on earth because as Christians, we are little Christs. We are the only gospel that some people ever read. Some of the testimonies that were made tonight where they had spoken to the family and said, this is sin and that's wrong. This, even though they do not receive it, we are the gospel according to Jesus Christ. As they look at us, we're the only gospel some of them will ever read because they don't read the Bible. And even when they are hostile toward us and come against us, it's only because Satan has blinded their eyes and we need to pray that their eyes will be opened, that the Lord will open their eyes of their understanding and they'll be able to comprehend the truth that you're presenting to them. You know, when we say the Bible says, they say, so what? I don't accept the Bible. So first of all, they have to understand that God loves them and recognize that the Bible is written for our good. And uh, I remember how angry I used to get when people say the Bible says, the Bible says I want to stuff it down their throats. And people don't understand that many times. They say, why don't they listen? Because they don't comprehend spiritual things. Jesus Christ manifested forgiveness in the case of Judas. How many of you know that when Jesus chose his disciples, he knew everything about them when he chose them, before he chose them? How many of you know that he said in John 6, verse 70, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. I want you to know that Jesus didn't walk into the experience with Judas with his eyes closed. He knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen. And then I want you to understand that Jesus made no differentiation between Judas and the other 11 disciples. He loved all of them. He ministered to all of them. How many of you know that when the Holy Spirit, when, it, when Jesus breathed on the 12 disciples and they went out two by two, and the 70 went out two by two, that Judas was in the midst of them and he got the same anointing that the rest of them got. Jesus didn't withhold anything from him. He got everything that the rest of them got. He went out and experienced all the miracles. He heard the teachings, all the teachings of Christ. He preached the gospel just as the other disciples preached the gospel. There was no differentiation whatsoever. He cast out demons. I believe that he healed the sick. 
But in the midst of all these things that he heard and saw and experienced, he had a craving for earthly things. Many times in churches you'll see people totally wrapped up in church work, but at the same time inside there's a, an appetite and a hunger trying to draw them away. It was he who was <clears throat> completely confused when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, give away all that you have and come and follow me. And the man went away sadly. He thought, boy, if he can't get in, who's going to get in? I just thought it was the ones with a lot of possessions. It was Judas who got concerned when Mary Magdalene came and broke the bottle of ointment over Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. And uh, he said, "For what? to what purpose is all this waste? Didn't he sound good and evangelical? Doesn't he sound like a real missionary-minded person? This could have been given to the poor. What a waste. But John, in John chapter 12, verse 6, exposes Judas. John chapter 12, verse 6. Look at it with me. John chapter 12 and verse 6. We can start with uh, verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. He thought, boy, if I could have had that money stuck in the bag, I could have had some more money to use the way I want to use it. And Jesus responded to Judas. This is one of the strongest times he came against Judas. He said, leave her alone. What she did, the poor you'll have with you always, but what she did shall be memorialized. And when he did that, I believe Judas began to resent Christ and decided to, to betray Jesus Christ and sat at the Last Supper. Now here you know, Jesus knew all about what was going on in his heart had already rebuked him because of his hunger and his covetousness for earthly th things and possessions. And when he knew that Judas was just like this at the upper, in the upper room at the, after the supper, remember what Jesus did? Got up, took, dropped off his, his outer garment and wrapped, took up a towel and went around and washed each one of the disciples' feet. Now, when he did it, he knew that Judas that night was going to betray him. He didn't say, Judas, forget your feet. I know what's in your heart. And fella, I'm not going to have a thing to do with you. Go wash your own feet. Go let the dogs lick your feet. Go let somebody out there, let the Roman soldiers and the leaders wash your feet. I'm not about... When I read that and noticed how Jesus made no differentiation whatsoever and he knew what was in the heart, he said, but one of you is a thief. Or excuse me, one of you is a devil. He tried to restore Judas even at that moment. Even though he didn't deserve it, he came and bowed down and washed his feet. I want to tell you, time and time again, no matter how hard we resist the Lord, he'll come and knock at the door and say, just let me in, open the door, and I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. Please, I want to come in and I want a fellowship with you. Try to tell me that our will is not involved in this situation. Judas had a chance to make a choice at that time. The other disciples all had a chance to make a choice. They made their choice. Judas made his choice. And Jesus knew what that choice was. Even after he washed his feet, he said, what thou hast to do, do it quickly. And the word of God says that Satan entered in and he walked out into the night, into the darkness. Now you can tell me how much you and I have to suffer 
all you want to. How much other people mistreat you and don't show you the respect that you should be shown. And how much you can't take any more of it, you've had it clear up to here. That you have every right to hate someone or every right to have a disagreement with someone or every right to have resentment towards someone and not forgive them. And I just simply say, go to the upper room and look what's going on. The scripture says, having loved his own, he loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the end. Undeserving as they were, Christ made no difference whatsoever. He loved them, forgave them, and fellowshiped with them. Not only did he love them, but at the very last moment there, he was trying to restore them. And he finally realized there's no restoration for Judas. Now, let's just switch very quickly 2,000 years from back there in that upper room to today. Jesus Christ dealing with you and me. I know that before the foundation of the world, as I said this morning, Jesus Christ loved me with an everlasting love. Look at 1 Peter with me. 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. Peter says, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of you from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You weren't just saved the day you walked down the aisle. In God's understanding and wisdom, all knowledge, you were saved before the foundation of the world. And when Jesus Christ came into the world 2,000 years ago, at that moment He paid for all your sins. And there had to come a time when you acknowledged His Lordship and you repented of your sins. But back there, He had already provided salvation for you in the midst of the time when we didn't deserve it. And then He sent His Holy Spirit to convict. I'm absolutely astounded every time I go back to the night that I was in that little church in Nebraska. I had been running around with a young man. I mean, we were just as wicked as you could possibly get. We went around, looked, we were like an accident going around looking for a place to happen. Constantly looking for fights, for arguments, to something kind of trouble to get into. And uh, I knew that this other fellow's parents went to church. But when I went forward that night and came out, the next night I went back and saw my buddy and I said, I've become a Christian. And, and I said, yeah, I really accepted the Lord in my heart last night. And I said, I want you to make the same decision. And, and this young man had been in church week after week after week all of his life. And his parents had stuffed religion down his throat. And he immediately said, well... If that's what you did, then you and I are going to walk two different paths, buddy, because I have no interest in it whatsoever. I said, don't you realize that Christ died for your sins? He said, look, if my parents are Christians, I'd just as soon go to hell. So that's the way it goes, buddy. And he closed the car door and he drove away. And I thought, Lord, why did you let him here and let me here? Why did I choose and he cho He did choose. We both chose and we both walked the path that we chose. But the will is involved. We have to come to a place where we completely repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ. And when we do it, if you and I will do that, if we'll draw nigh, God will draw nigh to us, He'll completely forgive us, completely cleanse us, completely enter into fellowship with us and give us His presence. Now today, if I sin, and I do, I fail and I come short, 
I get very embarrassed and frustrated sometimes when people come around and say, boy, it must be wonderful to be able to live up there where you, I think, give me a break. I'm constantly failing the Lord, constantly coming short of the glory of God, constantly missing what I know the Lord would have me to do. But I thank God that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is continually cleansing from all sin. When I repent, when I ask Him for forgiveness, and when I'm, by the way, when I'm disobedient, the Lord will chasten me. He knows how to spank. And that's why I used to tell my children, if I don't spank you, then the Lord's going to spank me. And I'd rather have to spank you than have Him spank me. Because He said, every son that He has, He chastens betimes to bring us into that place of obedience. And if I continue in that disobedience, I don't have fellowship with Him. I can pray till I'm blue in the face, but until I come back to that point of repentance and get, receive complete forgiveness again and fellowship is restored, God's not going to move until I move. I want you to understand that. Some people think it's all on God. No, God says, you draw nigh to me. You seek after me. You hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. My spirit's available to you, but there is a way that you come, and that's through repentance and faith in my son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm showing you a pattern here. God the Father and his love for the world, Jesus Christ and his love for mankind, and Jesus Christ and his love manifested to us. And now I want to try to express concerning a saint when one offends one of us. We offend God, we sin against God, and He forgives unconditionally when we repent. And so when someone comes to us, we usually get two responses when they offend us. Either I'll get you or God's going to get you. I have some people say to me, why doesn't God deal with them? Why doesn't God hit them? Why doesn't God, you know... They're always anxious to see the lash, the whiplash come. But I want to tell you something, the sword cuts both ways. And you have to be very, very careful what we ask God to do to someone else unless we're willing to allow God to do it to us. That's why it says here to give up the wish to punish or to get even with, not to have hard feelings at or toward, and to give up all claim to nor, and not demand payment for. Romans, the 12th chapter. Will you look at it with me, please? Romans chapter 12. Verses 17 through 19. Romans 12, 17. Recompense or payback, in other words, no man evil for evil. Provide, all th provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, what does it say? Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I will repay, saith the Lord. You don't have to repay. I'll take care of it. Well, why hasn't he done it? I mean, after all, this has gone on year after year after year. God doesn't always settle his books at the end of a year. He settles his books at the end of a lifetime if he hasn't settled them during the lifetime. And the, the real problem is we should not get involved in the judgment process. It's God who is going to judge these things. Instead, he wants us to manifest our love toward them. The love of Christ flowing out through us. Now, let me tell you, that will take a decision. I've had people say, I can't do that. And you know what they're really saying is, I won't do that. There has to be a time when we come and say, I give up all my rights in that matter. I lay them down completely. I acknowledge that outside of Jesus Christ, I deserve hell. 
And it doesn't make a difference what they have done or what they've said to me or anyone else I know. Because many times when somebody offends someone else, we'll pick up an offense and carry it. And we have to lay down that offense and say the Lord will judge in this situation and he always just right, judges rightly and I'll not carry any bad feelings about this. And you say, well, I'd like to do that, but they, they just go on like that. They just don't ever seem to change. There never seems to be a change in their life. And if I just say my two cents worth, maybe they'll change. <laughs> well, they probably will, but not for the good, usually. God's Word gives us an answer there in, in Romans, the 12th chapter, again, how we can change them. The next two verses, verses 20 and 21. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, <clears throat> laugh. If he thirst, give him salt. For in, Is that what it says? Let me tell you something. Now, it would read a lot easier for us if it said that. We would have a lot less problem with that than what the verses actually say. You understand me? How many of you would like to put salt in some people's drinks sometimes because you just think, well, really, somebody needs to jerk them up short. I had, I've had people call me and say, would it be wrong for me to do thus and such to the enemy? I mean, they have done so much to me. Couldn't I just do this to them? And I said, that isn't God's way. What does it say there? Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I used this illustration many years ago, and it's not in my notes, but it's so, worth, it's so good that I want to re repeat it, that over in China some years ago, you know, in China they have these uh, rice paddies on the sides of the hills, one right after another, after another, after another. And these two brothers had this big rice paddy, and every year they had to, I mean, every day they had to go to the creek and carry buckets of water over and fill this, dip it over into their rice paddy, in order to fill it full. And they'd come back the next day and have to do it all over again. Well, they, would, they did it, and then when they went home and came back, I went home to get something and came back, they found the man below them had kicked out the dike between their paddy and the next one and all ran down into the, his paddy. And they built the thing back up and filled it all up again. And when they came back the next time, they'd been knocked out again, all the water run down into the paddy below them again. And they were Christians and they didn't know exactly how to handle this. Their first thought was, I'm going to get him and choke him. And then they thought, no, Lord, that isn't what you'd have me to do. So the next day they got there extra early and they filled both patties full of water. Had to work extra long. They filled both patties full of water. And the next day when they came back, the man was sitting there waiting for them, weeping, and said, how can I know this Christ that you know? It would have been so much more satisfying to the flesh to have choked him half to death for doing, uh, wasting all their work and trying to destroy their patty. But they found out the best way was to love your enemies. Feed them. Bless them. Encourage them. You can't fight that. They talk about heaping coals of fire on your head. I was told of a black pastor that was preaching at one time and, and her, one of the ladies in the church came up and told her and said, Pastor, I've tried that. I, I've, tri I've tried hot coals but it didn't seem to do any good. He said, you, you did? Well, what did you do? She said, well, I didn't have any hot coals, so I poured boiling water on my husband's head. That made him all the matter. <laughs> she got the wrong idea. <laughs> but I still remember a time when Smith Wigglesworth, the English plumber, who later on had a mighty ministry of healing, he tells a time when he was being very belligerent, was not a Christian. He told his wife that she was not going to go to church at night. He didn't want her to go to church at night. And she said, honey, I appreciate 
you're concerned, but the Word of God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of all some is. And he said, I don't care what it says, you're not going to church tonight. He, she says, honey, I'll do anything that you want me to do, but I do have to be in church because that's what God's Word says. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people had that conviction today? And he said, you're not going to church. He said, I love you very much. And you can ask me not to do other things, and I'll be glad not to do them. But I have to be in church because God's Word says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He hid her shoes so she couldn't go out. It was in the wintertime. He hid her shoes. She didn't say a word. She just quietly went in the kitchen, found some newspapers, wrapped them around her feet, and stuck them in some overshoes, and went out the door and went to church. And when she came back, it was cold out. He had locked all the doors and windows. And she just sat down against the back door and huddled up and wrapped her coat all the way around her and bowed her head there and put the coat up over her head and fell asleep. The next morning she awakened. And by the time she awakened, he came to the door and opened the door and just walked back in the house. Well, you know what she did to him. You know how she let him have it. That's the natural response, isn't it? He said that she got up, walked in the kitchen, said, Morning, sweetheart. Took her overshoes off, went in, found some slippers, came back into the kitchen, fixed him the best breakfast she had ever fixed him, sat down and said, I love you very much. How are you this morning? Said he couldn't even eat his breakfast. He fell down on his knees and began to weep and ask God for forgiveness because of his hard heart. And that was the day that he got saved. She didn't allow herself to choose to be angry with him. You say, well, let me tell you, if my husband ever did that to me, it wouldn't take me any time to get him straightened out. And you'd never see me responding like that. Well, if that's the case, it just simply means you don't really believe the Bible. Because Jesus said that's the way we're to respond and to forgive others around us. I know a lot of wives today that, have, that when things don't go right for them, they withhold affection from their husbands. They give him a cold shoulder. <clears throat> they quit cooking or they cook something they know he doesn't like. <clears throat> they quit talking to him. And uh, they say, he'll learn not to act like that toward me or to do that to me. He'll not get away with this. I'll change him. And let me tell you something. In most cases, they do change. But I've never seen them change for the better. Always for the worse. You can't do it the fleshly way and get the right results. I've seen husbands who have learned if they just quit talking to their wife, just shut them out completely. Treat them very indifferently and coldly. That their wives, they, it really breaks their heart, wives' heart. They don't know what to, how to respond. They, don't know how, they just feel totally intimidated. And they hold back the money from them. They tell them they can't drive the car. They can't do this. That's not God's way. He said, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. And when you love your wife as you love your own body, then they can respond and it may take a long, long time, but you need to read the book Reconciled. Isn't there, is that what it is, uh, uh, Williams? Is that the, hmm? Rekindled, thank you, I'm sorry. The book Rekindled by Pat Williams. Pardon me? No, it was Pat Williams that wrote it, the, 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 uh, the uh, head of the Magic football, or basketball team, uh, with his wife. He had literally turned her off to where she was absolutely numb. She couldn't, sense any response to him whatsoever and God said I want you to restore that relationship with your wife and he said for two years of that three years it was just like 
showing affection to that steel post. No response whatsoever. He did everything he knew how to do. And he said, dear God, is she ever going to respond? God says, don't give up. Restore that relationship. Restore that relationship. And today they have, what, 14, 15, 16, 17 children, something like that, and they're going to keep on getting more and more. They've been adopting them from all over the world, and God's blessed that relationship. But God made him go back and undo all that he had done by treating her wrongly in the first place. Then the Word of God says, if somebody has offended you, that we do have something that we can do. And that's found in Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke chapter 17. Do I dare finish this tonight? Maybe I better stop there because I'm not going to get done tonight unless we stay way too late. And we don't want to stay way too late on this special night, you know. But uh, if you want to know what you can do, you need to do it next Sunday. Next, you'll find out next Sunday morning what you can do. And there is something you can do. And the scripture is very clear on it. So I want to I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit show you, even way back in the back, if, if in the past of your life, if there's something that you have, that someone has done to you in the past, and you may have completely forgotten about it, but the resentment is still down there, but you just simply covered it up and buried it and everything else. And if that is so, you'll find that there's always going to be an area of bondage in your life. I read uh, a book by Green. Uh, in our library, the first chapter, and there talks about forgiveness. Uh, Gruen, yes, Ernest Gruen. I'm, uh, the freedom, and the book is called Freedom to Choose. Thank you. Freedom to Choose by Ernest Gruen. And I read the first chapter, and it talked about forgiveness. He said, if you can't do this, don't go on and read the rest of the book. And I remember going to my room and just getting down on my knees before the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go back as best I can to my childhood when I was a child. And I'm going to have you walk me through each neighborhood that I lived in. I want you to, I'm going to remember now, I lived in this house. Was there anyone that I really got angry with there? Anybody I hurt back there? And I tried to remember, and I came to this other house. And boy, when I got this one house, boom, the Lord brought something back to me of a woman that had really hurt me physically one day. And the anger and the hatred that I had in my, in my mind for that woman had been totally buried, totally forgotten. And I went back and said, Father, I forgive her in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me for allowing that to be in my life. And I went step by step by step through every step of my life that I could remember. And remembered the hurts and the, the things that had happened to me in the past. And I claimed forgiveness as I forgave them in Jesus' name. And I, when I got through that day, I felt like somebody had scrubbed me inside. I had not even thought about it until I began to think about this aspect of forgiveness. Jesus said we're to totally forgive. And if we allow those things... They, I mean, if somebody had said that woman's name, I never would have remembered her. But I still had set something inside of me that day. I can still remember when I went home, I told my parents, I'm going to kill that so-and-so because of the way she had injured me physically. And I never released that. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that when I went back and started checking it out. The Lord wants us to have all unforgiveness all resentment, all bitterness, everything out of our lives so that we can freely love others around about us and have no sense of guilt or bondage in our life. Now, we say this because the Lord says these things are for our good. So, this may be a, a, a wonderful opportunity for you this week to just get alone and say, Lord, is there anything that I've ever in the past, 
any person that I've offended or has offended me that I have taken up a, an offense. And if there is, if you'll show it to me, I'll tell you right now, I'll, I'll ask him for forgiveness and I'll ask you for forgiveness. And I think you'll find that there's a real release in that. Now you see, all we've talked about thus far is your response as far as if they hurt you. And then next Sunday I want to talk about what God says our response to them must be so that there can be a change in their life also. Not just the part there that I was just talking about where you're just good, but there's also some steps you have to take to get them to the place where they realize that, that they can't offend us without a price being paid too. Father, thank you that through the blood of Jesus Christ we have experienced forgiveness. And through that same precious blood, we are cleansed anew and afresh every day. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for loving us while we were yet in our sins. That while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. And I thank you that we have the love of Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us to teach us and bring all things to our remembrance, whatever Jesus said to us. And I ask tonight that our hearts will be transformed from within. Father, I know that I never realized those things were in my life until I began to search them out. You said if we seek you with our whole heart, we'll surely find you. And I pray, Father, that you'll reveal to us if there's any areas of bondage and disobedience there. Because, Lord, we want to be in a position where you really can use us as a body of believers. We really want the perfect will of God to be done in our lives in all these matters. We commit ourselves to you right now and we're thanking you ahead of time that you're going to do the work that you want to do in us because we're going to be willing to let you do it. In Jesus' name.